0: The Born to be Mild podcast. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Born to be Mild. This one I believe is episode 38, and it is going to be for the week of October 4th. I am your host, Ron Cabuno, and we are going to have a good one once again. We are going to break down a little bit of the news, and then we're going to have an excellent conversation with the chairman of the Democratic Party in Erie County, Pennsylvania, Mr. Jim Wirtz. You know, this podcast comes out once a week, and some weeks there's so much news between episodes that it feels like a month has gone by. And, well, last week, that was one of those weeks. Uh, As we recall, uh, last weekend was the bombshell dropping of the New York Times Trump Tax Expose, and so I gave myself an extra day to drop the podcast, and that ended up happening on Tuesday morning. Well, within 12 hours after that podcast aired, we had what can technically be called our first official presidential debate, but it's widely been referred to as, I can't believe what the hell I just saw. So that was already shaping up to be plenty to talk about for today's episode. But 2020 always has other plans for us, and the entire Trump squad came down with a case of the heebie-jeebies over the weekend. Yes, Trump, Melania, Conway, um, Hope Hicks, a ton of other insiders, officials, all testing positive for coronavirus. Now, the timeline of when he was diagnosed versus when he traveled and when he admitted it is a little shaky, and so are quite a few of the updates coming from his medical team, since he did need to be flown to Walter Reed Hospital for precautionary measures. But as of Sunday night, the official word is that while he did have some episodes with difficulty breathing on, I believe, Friday, he is on the mend and hoping to be released earlier this week. Now, while on one hand, civil politics in a modern society lends itself nicely to one candidate wishing the other well if he or she should fall ill during the contest. Uh, on the other hand, it is Donald Trump contracting freaking COVID-19, so both the irony and the inevitability of the occurrence should not be lost on a single one of us. And while the comparison is a bit of a stretch, I doubt there were many Jews back in the 40s that would have cared if Hitler caught pneumonia. Right? Huh? So, I mean, Trump has downplayed the severity at all times and sometimes of the very existence of the coronavirus at a cost of countless American lives. So, after all the antibody cocktails and therapeutics that the peak of civilization can produce to work and save his life over the weekend, let's see how big of a pivot he takes on the matter and if and when he makes a full recovery, what he does. Now, speaking of pivots... The entire election is once again going to pivot on a select number of swing counties within a select number of swing states. And that's going to basically heap a giant amount of value onto a select and extravagantly ordinary group of voters. And, you know, until we start letting the popular vote decide our presidential elections, this is the reality we are forced to live with. The county I live in, Mahoning, is one of the most historically strong democratic counties in the state. Now so was our bizarro sister county to the north as I like to call it Trumbull. But they were not having the hill dog to a much larger degree and swung for Trump like a Palm Beach County lot lizard in 2016. Now that was the first time that Trumbull went for the GOP since 1972. Hopefully they will be seeing the light this time around. But we won't be any wiser about it beforehand because the Democratic Party officers up there declined several extremely cordial invitations to come on this show. Now, who knows, that was maybe just to keep their secret plans of handing out pamphlets from leaking to the enemy, but, you know... Hell, now I've said too much, so just forget everything. Um, Turns out I'm right next to another crucial swing state, albeit one that is a little bit more likely to vote blue next month, but a swinger nonetheless. And many estimates show that if Trump loses Pennsylvania, he will lose the election outright for sure. And Erie County there is one of the essentially swingiest swing counties within that swing state. And it's also one that's been historically democratic and then it, abruptly voted for Trump in the last election as well. Its citizens were, you know, hungry for change, a little bit of rehab, and they were believing of his empty promises and his half-baked nationalist plans. But the polling data and the officials on the ground there feel like that trend is reversing once more. So we're going to welcome the Democratic Party Chair Jim Wirtz for a little discussion on how campaigning in a pandemic has been going. but first. I should probably mention sports real quick, especially because by the next time we talk again, LeBron James and the Lakers will probably have swept the Miami Heat completely in the NBA Finals. Now, a question for y'all. Does the fourth championship count the same as every championship prior? Like, do you count this, uh, you know, as normal or do you put an asterisk next to it because uh, in the pandemic year, everything was, you know, just so far from normal to be counted normally or does the asterisk stay but then also note that the season was infinitely more challenging than all the others previous and therefore merits more than any other um either way you know and regardless of whether or not they get it done in four games or seven i have a feeling it is a done deal and uh i think those are the questions we're gonna have to ask about lebron and the lakers uh, in, within the context of history once this thing wraps up. And also, as I am recording this, there is only a couple hours removed from a very impressive Cleveland Browns victory over the Dallas Cowboys. Now, they were up like 42-21, to 21, and I figured I could totally go on with my day and assume that they had won. But, of course, they wanted to like make it much more interesting than that, and apparently the Cowboys brought it back to within three points with like just a couple minutes uh, remaining. So, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Browns have a player named Odell Beckham Jr. I think he scored like a 50-yard touchdown to seal the deal for him. A lot of people thought that we basically had him in a box under the stairs for the last year and a half, but in fact, he has been suiting up and getting paid to play. It's just may not have been evident because he was never getting the ball or scoring any points. But they seem to have worked it out so far this year, and um, his presence is being felt all the time. So that is something to look forward to because we are, you know, handsomely and safely in the winning column right now as a franchise. Go Browns. And uh, without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Jim Wirtz. Joining me on the podcast, we have Jim Wirtz. He is the chairman of the Democratic Party up in Erie County, Pennsylvania. Um, Welcome to the show. Um, I would imagine that it is kind of getting cold up there already. Is that right?
1: This morning it is. It, it, fall seems to have come uh, upon us quickly. It's been uh, rainy and uh, sub-50 for a couple of days now. So sure. we're, we're settling into the next season.
0: <laughs> Which is the sunless season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I know that a Biden victory would probably make the winter a lot warmer up there. And, you know, frankly, for the rest of the country, in my opinion. So let's uh let's get into how you started fighting the good fight up there on the lake. Yeah. Um, how how long have you been working for the party up there?
1: Well, I've been uh, chairman since uh, June of 2018, and when I was uh, when I was elected chairman kind of got thrown right into a hot congressional race uh, here in PA-16. Of course, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, had ungerrymandered our district in January of 2018. And uh, Ron Nicola, a local attorney here who had run for uh, Congress uh, back in the 90s, decided to jump back in the fray and had really closed the gap on uh, Mike Kelly in western Pennsylvania um, by the time that I had been elected chairman, and so uh, nothing quite like getting dropped into the middle of all that. And of course, we had a governor's race that year, and uh, Senator Bob Casey was up for re-election as well. So a lot going on right out of the gate. But what 2018 showed us is that there was uh, the that the. the 2016 results were um, we think a, a, an anomaly and so based on the the Democratic uh, turnout and Democratic support in 2018 uh, particularly here in Erie County uh, Rondy Nicola ultimately lost that race by uh, by just four points um, but uh, he had the largest margin of victory uh, ever in uh, Erie County uh, as, as the kind of the the I guess the foundation of the congressional district there. Um, and so, between uh, Ron's level of support uh, the support that we had uh, in turnout for both the governor and for Senator Casey um, it was a uh, it was a powerful moment and and one that that motivated us and propelled us into 2019 so we spent much of 2019 a municipal cycle um, trying to organize throughout the community and doing that around the presidential debate schedule uh, mm-hmm. with with our many uh, with our many presidential hopefuls on the Democratic side and so so I uh, spent a lot of time talking to the various grassroots organizations that were uh, that were trying to garner support for individual candidates and just trying to kind of keep everybody on the same page, make sure that we were together and moving forward as a unit, so that no matter who emerged ultimately as the nominee, that uh, that there wouldn't be divisions within the party uh, and we would be able to uh, to roll forward. And then of course COVID hit and kind of changed everything. Um, but we uh, you know we spent a lot lot of our our isolation in March and April, uh, thinking about what May and June and July we're going to need to look like to kind of mm-hmm. rebound and, and move us forward.
0: So, I mean, I would say that you guys are a centrist Democratic county if I've ever seen one, so that is probably the smart play. You definitely want to make sure that you're ready to support whoever comes out the other side of the primaries. Um, that,
1: that's true, and I think, and I think there was a, a lot of support for a wide range of candidates here. We had we had a, a grassroots organization for uh, for Pete Buttigieg, uh, a lot of support for Elizabeth Warren. Of course, there was a huge contingent of uh, Sanders supporters, as well as as well as a, as well as a, a great coalition for uh, Vice President Biden. And so, as the as that field was narrowing down, um, those. Those folks continued to realign and and move around. I mean, it looked kind of like uh, when you when you watch an Iowa caucus live right. on TV. If you're ner- <laughs> yeah. ner- nerdy enough to watch to stream an Iowa caucus, that's kind of what it looked like. People. One side around. of the gym
0: just Th- starts filling up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, honestly, like you would I you could probably categorize the right as being a little bit more a cult of a personality these days. So it's not that tough for a. Uh, you know, a Democrat to say, all right, I see who might be able to further the party's interests the best at this moment in time and have no problem you know, realigning themselves with uh, who that person might be. It's
1: that That's particularly true of the base. I think that though, you know, to your point about Erie being a uh, conservative Democratic town, it is a, um, I, I think that's accurate, particularly out in uh, the more rural parts of Erie County, where, um, you know, historically, uh, Democrats at the local level and the county level have done well, but it's been more difficult for, Uh, candidates running at the federal level. Uh, We know that there were a lot of very conservative folks who were registered Democratic in Erie County uh, for the past few decades who would regularly vote Republican um, in federal elections. And that's because in part because we had um, in the past so many competitive Democratic primaries. But I think that what we've seen, particularly since 2016, is a little bit of a leveling in that. And so some the fact that some of those politically active folks uh, were shifting into the Republican Party and running for office as Republicans, um, has really made uh, a battleground out of the general elections, uh, especially in the county, (laughs) not so much here in the the city.
0: Right. No, I mean, like I see the same um, type of thing going on here in Youngstown because we have so many Italian Americans, and they've always been, you know, staunchly Democratic. But now there is such a large contingency of of candidates on the Democratic side of things that you see people with like Andruzi or Abruzio running as a Republican, and that's just not something you normally see. But it's basically like one side of the field is so is so overwhelmed that um, they have to find somewhere to go, and um, I don't know. I think that. Republicanism is a, is a vague term right now. So you can kind of make your, your bed in a certain corner of it and, and, and be able to be successful there only because it's, it's just a little up in the air right now. Yeah, I think that um,
1: analysis is correct. And there's also a change kind of in this um, in, in this post-machine world. I mean, some of our areas still have, you know, uh, big political organizations and certainly the Erie County Democratic Party um, tries to operate in that manner. But what we don't have anymore is kind of the honest graft of the old days that kept some of these people grounded to the parties of particular political officials. Um, and so with that uh, kind of distribution of people across the ideological spectrum now they feel much more uh i think much more comfortable aligning with parties at the national level as opposed to at the local level which makes jobs like mine uh a great deal harder but it also but it also is a a motivating factor too because it becomes all the more important to be able to communicate what the platform of the party is uh not only from the national level but also talking about the things that are, are are critically important to us here at the local level as well
0: I mean, on one hand, it's good that people aren't voting straight ticket, but not for your job. You know what I mean? Like, it's good that people are able to see a candidate for what they are sometimes. And, you know, I would say that in in Erie's uh, case and in Trumbull County's case here in Northeast Ohio, I tend to think of voting for Trump in 2016 as a bit of an impulse purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, like you said, might be the anomaly. And... um there are other swing counties in Pennsylvania you know we hear about the the counties around Philadelphia for instance um, how many places in Pennsylvania would you say are up for grabs on are really really being hotly contested right now out of how many counties do you have
1: sixty seven counties in Pennsylvania I'd say, a, really, when you're talking about uh, battleground counties like Erie County, you're looking at Luzerne County, um, and uh, and as you said, several of the the counties surrounding. Philadelphia and those surrounding Allegheny County so so really when you when you think about the structure of each of these coalitions in these counties you're looking at at very strong uh, democratic anchors uh, and then the the suburbs kind of distributing out to more uh, more rural more conservative areas and so those suburbs really are the battleground and in some some places like down in Butler County we're seeing the suburbs in places like Cranberry becoming more democratic as folks are are leaving the city and and raising uh-huh. their families in the suburbs um and in uh, in some places uh like like Erie for example I think I think we've ideologically become a bit more conservative in Erie County but I don't know that that that's translating necessarily um to uh to political action um and so we will we'll, I think this this election cycle is the real arbiter of that right when the question gets raised in 2016 about what what happened in Erie um, Um, I I say I'm I'm still willing to say it's an anomaly. And we've been working our our butts off here to uh, to make sure that uh, that 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 holds up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that was the first time the GOP won there since uh, 1984, Ronald Reagan. Um, How big of a surprise was that?
1: Well, I, th- I think it was a, a, a surprise to some extent because we still have such a significant voter registration advantage in Erie County, but there were a number of factors at play, and I think as you alluded to earlier, there were people willing to make that impulse buy or that impulse choice, um, and, and I think that there were so many folks who were actually longing for... Um, something different that they were willing to take a risk and I've talked to voters who have who have who made that choice in 2016 and they all go well I'm not going to do that again and and so um, some of those folks are from the labor coalition some of those folks are um, are more white-collar uh, business types and uh, and then you have your your casual voter who doesn't dig deep on any particular issue and isn't invested in the political system um, so when they go to vote in enact Election like this, it really is kind of an impulse buy, right? As they're as sure. they're still going to the polls, driving to the polls in the morning, uh, more or less making up their mind, and they're looking <laughs> at a guy like they're looking it's at a guy like right, but it but they but then they're looking <laughs> at a guy like like Donald Trump in 2016, and they're going like, yeah, he's really unconventional, but hey, maybe that's what we need, and then sure. and then. He actually wins and, and you turn around and, and they see how chaotic it is um, and they re- they recognize that uh, that there is more uh, at play. And so, you know, we, we've worked hard to try to communicate with those folks that are going to come into uh, the come into the cycle much later um, and maybe not spending as much time immersed in uh, in news and social media and other things. And I, I wish m- more people would be less immer- immersed in social media. <laughs> but but it's a uh, you know it's our challenge to try to uh, try to correct the narrative, try to talk to people about how their lives are being impacted here at the local level. Um, and and sometimes that's a difficult conversation because when everyone's consumed with national news and cable news 24-hour cycles um, it's hard for them to put a pin on how their their immediate uh, surroundings are being affected by uh, by a national political decision but um, sure but, but we, we we try to do that we try to communicate that in a number of different ways and and I feel like in this cycle um, the outreach that we've done particularly in the county um, but also here in the city trying to solidify and motivate uh, the urban base is uh, it has been pretty effective.
0: It, what's interesting is that you say that you'd like to be able to have people concentrate on what happens at a local level, but we see an increase Mm -hmm. in not just, you know, the general polarization at the national level, but trickling down to all the local races where all the local candidates are aligning with the national platforms and, uh, modes of thought to where it feels like, well, I obviously have to stick with this party, you know, straight down the ticket. And it's so crazy to think that nowadays. uh, is the case um, and you have the Trump coalition as you were saying and and honestly anyone who is a undecided voter at this point is usually going to be a low information voter I hate to say true. because if you don't know enough about these people to be able to make up your mind you should have been able everyone I bet 80% of the country could have voted six months ago or whatever um, Now, I was on this show at least that long ago saying that they could put up a paper bag and I would vote for it over Donald Trump just because he is that much of an existential threat to the democracy of this country. But that's neither here nor there. Like, So you have these late-breaking people and sometimes they do want the sizzle over the steak. And it's tough to get people. I mean, now, if they are paying any attention at all, the last four years have shown you that a little bit of competency and a little bit of time on the job before taking the highest office in the land probably isn't the worst thing to have coming in. Um, but how do you, I mean, now this debate performance, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but this debate performance, you know, could not have really convinced any of those late breaking people that this is the type of guy that you want to remain in office.
1: Well, I think I think the debate performance was difficult on both sides, and I, I you know, certainly um, I've heard from Trump supporters this week who said, "Look, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to go in on Joe Biden yet, but uh, I'm definitely not going to be voting for Donald Trump again after that debate performance." I think the, you know, it, it was a it was a real illustration of uh, of the chaos. Um, that is this administration, and you see that from its leadership, right at the at the top. And so, um, I think people were really put out by that. And certainly, if there was uh, an undecided voter watching that debate on Tuesday night, I'm not sure that they were given enough meat to make a decision. <laughs> they and, came
0: away very confused. Yeah, yeah. Certainly,
1: <laughs> I mean, it was it. It really was. Um, it, it was both comical and sad on on some levels. Um, I you know, I thought Biden's best moments in the debate came uh, came toward the end. You know, he at the beginning, he, he was he spent a lot of time trying to figure out um, how to how to spar uh, with that. To navigate COVID-19. those
0: stormy seas. No, yeah, and when yeah. he did address the nation and kind of leave Trump out of it, that is when he excelled.
1: Yes and I think I think people are are looking for more of that. I'm hoping that the next debate which I think is a town hall style debate is going Thank goodness. to be go, going to be a little bit easier to manage. Um, But you never know. You truly never know um, with this president um, what what boundaries he's going to try to overstep in order to uh, to disrupt uh, an otherwise competent narrative. Sure. Uh, And and just
0: get rid of the norms of common decency within the format. So question to you, should there be a mute button? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well I think you know I, desperate times call for desperate measures and when you're dealing with someone who is not going to be at all mindful of the the protocols of that debate setting then yeah maybe maybe there does need to be a mute button I mean I, you hate to say it but if you have a presidential candidate on there that needs to be muted maybe we're maybe we're we're not uh, tapping into the right problem
0: Yeah or we're not getting the right people up for the task but he's already in office. So it's interesting to think that you would have to hold the incumbent back and keep him sane up there. Um But we might not even have to worry about that, unfortunately. I mean, I am all for the town hall format because like you said, you're actually going to have to interface as a candidate with voters and speak to them directly and not speak over your opponent just because he's you know, talk, you know, conversing with the moderator.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, the the, the benefit of the town hall, um, at least from the Biden side of the House, is that Joe Biden is among the most uh, personable uh, politicians that I've ever seen and interacted with. Back in 18, I was at an event for Senator Casey and and uh, Vice President Biden was there. And and he 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 understands people inherently, and so when he's when he's talking to people, I think what you're going to see is an empathetic response to really questions of concern that the that the audience is going to bring. Um, and I think the 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 contrast that will be drawn between Joe Biden's empathetic responses and uh, Donald Trump's narcissism will be so crystal clear that I don't know if anyone uh, anyone can be left um, undecided or in the void at that point. Now, whether anybody chooses to to tune in after what they saw this past week uh, is a different question.
0: Uh, yeah, I think word needs to get out that the format, uh, or at least the rules, will have changed. I think the Commission on Presidential Debates said that they were going to be making the changes, but it needs to be known by the general public that they are not going to see the same thing again. Um, but you actually might have to mute Joe after about... 15 or 20 minutes with each one of these um, voters because he's a little long winded and he loves a conversation so you might have to catch him the next day as he's finishing up with the last person well but I think it'll
1: also give him um, I, I think what he doesn't Uh, Or what he isn't able to communicate because of time constraints will be uh, will be carried over into themes that he pushes the last 30 days of this campaign. And um, and and so I think that there's value in that for the Biden campaign either way.
0: I totally agree. However, we might not even get it because, as you may probably I'm sure, you know, Donald Trump contracted covid as of last night officially. Yep and uh that's gonna throw a wrench into things on both sides because as you said uh the town hall format would be just a fantastic forum for joe biden to show off his uh personable nature and his empathetic way especially in these tough times uh but since that might not happen that could be a downfall for that side of the aisle however Trump not being able to go on the road, do his song and dance, do his thing, his maskless grouping thing, which, you know, very possibly got him into this situation, is going to be a detriment to him as well.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And, you know, he he's not good without an audience. So this isn't going to be something that they're able to uh, to zoom in. Right. But can't replicate that. Yeah, No, you you can't. And and so that was my question all along about the first debate was what is the audience situation going to be? And certainly it was a smaller audience than they would have normally had. But I thought if those two had to be in a studio uh, without an audience for him to react to and to respond to. And I think truthfully, the the, the quiet nature of the audience on Tuesday um, only fed Donald Trump's need to be a bit more outrageous and, and to be a bit more uh, over the top and confrontational. And to
0: take up all of that silence, because uh, if you recall, those election or those debates in 2016 were so raucous and um, they were just they were off putting. It was it was really combative in a way that I had never seen before.
1: Yeah. And this and, and now it's only worse. So I, I think going forward, um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that by 2024, uh, the Republicans have, will have uh, regained their senses and poured the Kool-Aid down the drain and, and are <laughs> able to put up a candidate that is... Um, that is someone who is clearly, um, even though if we disagree with them ideologically and philosophically, they're at least people who um, have an understanding and a respect for the institutions uh, and, and really the, the procedures that, are, uh, that allow for uh, this kind of public discourse to take place.
0: Now, if you, I don't know, I guess is an odd question to ask because it has nothing to do with your purview, but would you rather the Trump enablers be voted out of office in the Senate this go-round and have them be able to say that we're starting fresh? Or would you rather them stick around and say, look, this is the party of Trump, uh, or at least the husk of it, and uh, we get to essentially steamroll them with whatever legislation we want because of how poorly they were working together with us and you know during the last term
1: well so you got a couple of layers there and the first one is yes i'd like to see the enablers gone no matter what um whether whether that is uh whether the enablers are gone thereby kind of clipping the wings of the administration should donald trump be reelected, or uh or or trump loses and the democrats have all three uh, you know the the executive uh, and uh, and the, the legislative both houses of the legislative branch. So um, I, I think that there's a real opportunity there for for Democrats to kind of set the record straight. Um, I've said for years too that I think the the Democratic Party and Democratic leadership needs to do a much uh, better job of messaging itself. Oh they, my they, goodness! You know, um, and so <laughs> you're so, not alone there. So, so I think I think by uh removing a couple of the uh enablers in the in the senate um that that helps to do that um, but um, you know it's a it's a difficult proposition when you're dealing with a party that essentially has a, you know it's its own television network and uh, a public relations arm that isn't willing uh, that, that isn't worried I should say about uh, about facts uh, and and typically traffics in you know what Chuck Todd would call verifiable falsehoods
0: <laughs> yeah he is so kind with that um, that's just ridiculous. Uh, I loved when the New York Times finally decided to put lie on the front cover. Yeah. That was a big day for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's and and as one of my uh, one of my academic colleagues would tell you, there's a there is a a semantic distinction between lies and verifiable falsehoods. And I think you're right. Chuck (laughs) Todd is trying to be uh, kind and giving them, uh, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt on the verifiable falsehoods. But at some at some point, you got to call it what it is. um, And it's just been a, a series of lie after lie upon. Uh, you know, delivered to the American people. And some people are willing to to take it and and they just, they don't look beyond the headline. Uh, And others others are wising up. And we see that every day in our offices. We have four offices across Erie County uh, for Mm. this election cycle. And every day we're seeing moderate Republicans, particularly older moderate Republicans, folks um, from kind of the the last of the World War II and Korea generations and and a lot of uh, Vietnam era people um, coming in and just going like, we can't do this anymore. I'd like to uh, I'd like to change my party. Um, I I won't be supporting this president and I'm not going to be I can no longer be a part of a party that is willing to uh, to let him uh, continue to lie to the American people.
0: Yeah, it will be very interesting, no matter how this shakes out, what will be the future of the Republican Party. I think the Democratic Party will have its own issues, of course, because we're looking at a a much larger tent party, a broad spectrum party, and there will be a lot that needs to be shook out in terms of how they're going to coalesce behind legislation. But at the same time, at least they aren't um, in the grips of an insurgency that is essentially taken over and is you know has this symbiotic control <laughs> over most of its members right now. Well, and I think and- I
1: think you hit the nail on the head there and 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 I think the the key is that um you know it, it, the Democratic Party is this large tent and I'd much rather have to have a civil conversation among 50 different factions about what this platform and what the future of the party is going to look like than I would have than I would rather have a a, a civil war between two right-wing factions of of the of the Republican Party, um, that's a that's a lose lose. I mean, this started when they failed to be able to control the Tea Party narrative uh, in the last decade, and then and then from that emerged a an even more radical faction of uh, extremists, right wing extremists rooted in uh, in white supremacy. and 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 there's no there is no reckoning there uh, for them. They they have to be able to deal with this, and it, to date they've not been willing to do so. Uh, the New York Times. Times reported uh, a few months ago that there were um, there were folks in the Republican Party just waiting for the Trump era to end so that they could go back to go back to some semblance of normalcy and almost pretend that it didn't happen. Um, but but they're not going to be able to do that because the folks that that were emboldened by Trump uh, and the Tea Partiers that were hanging on from uh, from the previous decade um, are, are not going anywhere in in short term. Um, And so this is this is who they are. And now, of course, they're dealing with the QAnon, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, those people. And I and I I don't know what that looks like for politics going forward. And shamefully, we've got areas of this country that are so gerrymandered that um, that they're able to uh, easily walk in and and uh, you know maybe as many as twenty four uh, QAnon people running for Congress this year is a really in safe scary
0: seats. Yeah, yeah, with a great chance of winning because of the gerrymandering, like you said. But so hopefully, if uh, both houses and the presidency are controlled by the Dems. They will be able to do a national bill on gerrymandering. I know that we got one passed through here in Ohio, um, and it's so important to the process. I mean, like you want to look at how things go from the ground level up. That is crucial into making things fair and balanced in terms of serving the electorate.
1: Absolutely. And I, I, you know, here in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court um, redrew some of the districts in 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 2018 um, after being heavily gerrymandered in in 2010 into after 2010, uh, Erie County was actually cut in half. So we had always had, uh, you know, we we had always had a, a major role to play in electing uh, the Congressperson from this district. Um, and then uh, chopped in half, we we no longer were able to put up uh, a candidate. So um, it'll be anxious. I'm anxious about what the legislature in Pennsylvania will do uh, as it tries to. Uh, redraw the districts uh, heading into
0: 2022. mm mm-hmm. um, So I was under the impression initially that the Biden camp was not going door to door for um, this election. Is that still the case? Um, No.
1: So we have in Erie County, um, while the Biden campaign itself through the Pennsylvania Democratic Party coordinated campaign um, was uh, heavily focused on its phone banking. Uh, operation throughout much of the year um, has now started to go out and do lit drops. And we actually started to go do lit drops and and sign drops back in June already. The Democratic Party did, uh, the Erie County Democratic Party, that is. And so we've been out um, interacting with voters like that. I I call it uh, I call it soft talk right? Instead of hard knocks, we're out there doing soft talk on the road. And what that means is we've, we've had, uh, we've had online, uh, requests for signs. We, you know, maybe 5,000 or 6,000 requests online for signs in addition to the people coming and picking them up at our offices. And when our volunteers go out to deliver those signs, what they were finding is you'd stick, you'd plan a sign in someone's front yard and three neighbors down the block would come out to talk to you about A, how did they get a sign? Mm-hmm. B, B, they wanted to talk about the presidential election, but then it gave our volunteers an opportunity to talk about our down ballot races, our, our, our congressional uh, race, and our, our state don't Senate race. Of course, don't miss that opportunity. And Right, and so so we didn't feel um, that that early on. We didn't feel like we were uh, we were missing out because we were actually um, on the streets talking to voters and having that communication. And really, I thought that it was it was almost more effective than knocking on someone's door and having them come reluctantly to the door, and then you're trying to talk to them about this issue. Now you're getting people who want to know more. It's voluntary participation, questions. exactly. It is, and it, and it, and I'll tell you what I think the I think the contact rate uh through our sign deliveries and our li- literature drops um was just as high if not higher than it would have been if we were going door to door and knocking on doors because um one folks are a little reluctant to engage with people knocking at their doors during covid but two if you've ever been out canvassing you know a lot of times you knock on a door you can see the tv on you can smell the the, <laughs> din- the dinner yeah. cooking and nobody nobody's coming to the door right they, they turn they the lights off the trick-or-treaters it. are here yeah exactly and so so i think i think think this has actually been much more fruitful. And and I had a a canvasser, she came back uh, to the office the other day and she said she was out walking and um, the weather up until about three days ago, the weather here has been tremendously nice. So a lot of folks sitting out on their porch, talking to their neighbors, that kind of thing. And so as she's walking from the houses to houses on her list, she's talking to all of these other people that already have Biden signs in their yards. And they're asking questions about other candidates or or new people asking about where they can go to register to vote or uh, or, or where their polling place is. And so um, very, very high level interactions. And so our, our volunteers were Actually coming back, going. Uh, we ran out of lit before we got through the before we got through the list because uh, we we didn't want to not give it to these. We're people just accosted who were by all these
0: interested parties. Yeah, of Yeah, yeah. And so it's
1: a really good problem to have uh, on our end. Um, and so the the question of of yeah traditional canvassing is out for sure, but it has not. At least in Erie County, it has not uh, deterred us from from going out and having those positive communications.
0: Well, it's probably just getting into people's consciousness that uh, the Trump folks don't own the monopoly on flags and yard signs. And um, I think that it's actually getting in the craw of a lot of the Trump supporters that they don't own that monopoly, that people are like myself. I have two nice big Joe Biden flags in my yard on either end, and it is a majestic sight. But it's just something that we are not accustomed to seeing because Trump had gotten his signs out early in the last election, and they never came down. Right. So we're essentially living under a country of two flags (laughs) this last year, and both of them seemed a little hostile to those on the left, both the national flag and the Trump flag in some respects. So, like— um, there's actually been some vandalism in um, in Erie County uh, specifically, That's as right. well as uh, worldwide, nationwide. Um, it, but it's really nice to see that there is that level of interest in Joe Biden, especially in comparison to what we saw in terms of Clinton yard signs four years ago, which were basically non-existent. This is a right. whole different order
1: we have we've distributed to date we've distributed fifteen thousand signs in erie county um and with our with our satellite offices uh in in very rural parts of the county so we open an office in the most southeastern corner of the county in the most northeastern corner of the county and then to the west in mill creek township uh in addition to our main office in downtown erie um, and we've distributed signs out of all of those offices and and as i said before folks requesting them so we're Delivering them. I I know that the old political uh, adage is, is that signs don't vote, but I but but it's it, in these kinds of emotional elections, signs motivate voters. And after 2016, and so many Democrats feeling like they were silenced by the volume of Trump signs that were mm-hmm. out there, they were eager to get signs up and to show their neighbors who they represented and who they were. And um and so we have had actually high high volumes of sign theft here in Erie County. There's a sign ring somewhere out there in the county. These folks are driving in broad daylight, going through entire subdivisions and sweeping the subdivisions of Democratic signs. So so not only uh, not only do they not like the competition, um, they are they are unable to compete and so they they fall back on these uh, uh, you know on these more kind of uh, deviant juvenile tactics of trying to steal signs and send send nasty letters and openly hostile yes openly hostile absolutely and and to, to that point you know I've, I've made a lot of posts on Facebook of people you know saying that that if you're supporting Trump in this election cycle what you're really doing is is supporting uh, white supremacists who support Trump and have been emboldened by by Trump and I, I've taken a lot of heat from that a lot of heat for that but uh, my wife was kind of pushing me on it one day like why would you put this out there I go I go if you heard the kind of uh, racist things that are screamed at me and my my volunteers out on the uh, out out in the county and and even sometimes here in the city, as we're we're putting up signs or we're interacting with voters, um, you would understand why I feel the way that I do, yes, right? Absolutely and, abhorrent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, so whatever we can do, part part of this is 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 trying to to silence that noise and put an end to this. The fact that these these hate groups have been emboldened by this president um, in ways in ways unseen for decades in this country um, should be enough for anybody to stand up. And the one thing I like to point out to critics uh, on my on my Facebook page is that when they attack me for saying the things that I say, I, I make note of the fact that, that they've chosen to criticize me first a, instead of denouncing the racism that I'm talking about that's inherent in their party.
0: Exactly. What exactly is the crux of their argument? Is it just trying to shout you down or is it trying to write the record on their behalf? And you can tell which where they fall most of the time
1: most most of the time it's just trying to shout me down it's not yeah. it's not about writing the record and occasionally and listen there i some of these people uh are are people that i'm i'm close friends with and hang out with all the time but they don't like it. <laughs> so you know you have to you have to be able to navigate those waters and my my wife worries about about Folks, you know, kind of walking away from our friendships, and I said, "Look, if they if they can't have this conversation, then then who cares?" I'm not sure about that, but we also we also got, have people who, you know, they'll share stories. I'll say something uh, about Charlottesville, and somebody will post a, a link to an article about how Donald Trump uh, said that he was going to have a, a civil rights investigation of, of Charlottesville through the Justice Department, and then I share the the link to the article from the first budget uh, cuts of. Of 2018 just a few months after charlottesville when donald trump uh defunded the civil rights division of the justice department
0: so you can't you know
1: i mean it, it, the the everything is out there the the actual facts are out there you can challenge the verifiable falsehoods quite easily um but it is uh but it it takes a little work and, and it takes a little patience and you know the the people that you uh the people that you love and care about you have to treat with kid gloves but um but i've lost really all, all tolerance for arguing on the other side that do not uh, that do not bring to terms um, the reality of what's happening within the Republican Party right now.
0: Oh man. All right, so that is another hour or two podcast <laughs> <laughs> And I'm glad you decided to at least go there a little bit, but uh, we'll, we're gonna wrap it up here and uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk again in the future. Um, it was very nice having you on. Um, Jim Wirtz. And uh, I wish you and the Erie County Democratic Party nothing but the best of luck here in November.
1: Thanks, Ron. Same to you uh, in, in, in Northeast Ohio.
0: All right. Thank you very much. All right. And that is going to do it for another episode of Born to be Mild. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please like, share, review on iTunes and anywhere else that you find podcasts. Thanks again to Ryan Little for excellent theme music. And we will see you again in one week.